Hello. <laughs> I feel like you had a very like monotone, sad expression with your hello, but I think I'm also projecting because I'm no longer with you or in yes. Marblehead, which is why I'm wearing my sweatshirt. Oh, wait. Oh, you bought one this time? No, I've had this. I've had nice. this one. We were together every day, but you did not stay with me. You stayed in Marblehead. Correct. Your favorite, favorite place. How was Noemi's baptism? Okay. It was so good. Thank you for bringing this up. Okay. So we were getting ready to leave to go. I made a fashion risk that I wasn't sure I would like. It's one of those things that I was like, I might look back in a couple of years and be like, what the heck was I thinking wearing that outfit? But anyway, I wore it. It was a green <laughs> houndstooth patterned, like green and black patterned blazer dress. Mm-hmm. But as we're walking out to leave to go to the baptism, my sister pulls out a sorting hat and she was like, no one knows, but today's also her, like she's getting sorted into day. her house. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I love this. I also love that your sister loves Harry Potter just as much as you do. Oh, so like she's it's a family affair. Yeah. It's not even a suggestion from you. She's like already planning this sorting day Mm -hmm. and you just it feels like you are attending hogwarts right like you didn't know that was happening and you show up and there's the hat yeah so i don't know if you've seen these videos but they there's somewhere basically they'll make cakes or different something that represents each house and then the baby or the toddler will crawl to whichever one they want and that's supposed to be the house that they are sorted in so this one was actually a dog's toy but it had a hat and it had little like squeaky toys separate but that represented each house the ravenclaw was missing but we show up to the baptism and everyone's wearing green it's like a weird why did everyone get this what's going on that is weird we're at the dinner afterwards when she's picking her house she picked slytherin we (gasps) all were wearing green it must have been this weird subconscious thing where we knew in the air she's she's a slytherin wow That is weird. It is weird when people show up all wearing the same color Mm -hmm. or everyone has the same outfit. And especially for a baptism, wearing green, it's not like a color associated at all with the event. Hmm. I know. Look at that. You have a Slytherin. Wait, what is is Lexi? She is a Gryffindor, but she has Slytherin tendencies. (laughs) I feel like that she's very Harry Potter, right? Yeah. My brother's also a Gryffindor. I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm a Gryffindor. And I guess now we have a Slytherin in the family. There you go. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it. I was like, oh my gosh, I finally get to buy the whole Harry Potter set to read. Because one of my favorite memories was my mom reading out loud all of the books to me and my brother. And then when we would be traveling during that time when she was like crushing through all the books, we would read or listen to the audio tapes I go to the library and we would rent the audio tapes and oh my god. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so good to listen to. The guy who voices the audiobook, 10 out of 10. We would listen on road trips. Yeah, it was like the road trip thing because yeah. the chapters are longer too. So it's mm-hmm. it's a way to keep everybody in the car engaged. But I was yeah. watching a clip or like an interview clip of the man who narrates the Harry Potter books and someone asked him how he knew all of the voices, like how he could remember all of the voices that were in. Yeah. And he said the first time he read through, he would write down the character name. And then like as he was reading through the books, he would mark sort of like characteristics about them. And then once he decided what their voice was, he would make a little note like in he he had this little like tape recorder and it would Mm -hmm. be like recording number one, Hermione. 
and then he'd do the voice. And so when a character would come across and he'd be like, oh, shoot, how do I say that again? What is their inflection? He would just go to his notes and be like, oh, okay, so Hermione is on recorder number four, recording one. And then he would just listen to like five seconds of him talking as Hermione. So he had his own little catalog of voices. He didn't remember everything because there's just too much to remember. Voice work is magical. Yeah, it really is. People who can do imitations and many of them, I am amazed by by all of you. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is two girls, one ghost. Oh my gosh. Two girls, <laughs> one ghost. We are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. I Hi. am Sabrina. And this is a regular episode. So it's a researched episode. Sundays we have researched episodes. Thursdays we have encounters that we share. But I have been going through my house and trying to unpack slowly, mm-hmm. and I found a bag of stuff that we received in the P.O. box in, like, September or October that just got misplaced in my oh. move. And so I unwrapped all of it. You did an unboxing. Except for one package, because as soon as I opened it, it said, please read this before you open this package. There's a haunted <gasps> object inside. And so I immediately put it back in the envelope. I will be shipping it to you, Sabrina. I have no idea what's inside. I didn't read more. I didn't want to touch it. And then, of course, I had horrific paranormal nightmares last night. And I don't know if it's because of the object being just in my house or because I am fearful of the (gasps) object that is now sitting on my kitchen counter. Did you get a vibe from it before you saw the note of be careful before you open this? No, no. Okay. I didn't. Wait, I'm really excited. And it was like... I feel like it was wrapped in like, I'm going to butcher this and I'm not remembering everything correctly, but I think it was like pink tissue paper. Like it it didn't, it looked (laughs) so unassuming. And thank God I read it because I feel like all the other packages I was- What were your nightmares? Well, I had a few, but the one that was most scary was someone had a really, really haunted room. And I can't even remember whose house it was, but it was like this one specific room and it had been bothering everyone. And it was like one of my family members and we were staying there at their house. And they're like, we don't know about what to do about this one room. Like we can't even access other rooms that you have to like walk through this haunted room to get to the other rooms. And I was like, Mm. I think, I think I might be able to cleanse it for you. And I like grabbed a bunch of crystals and like put them in my pocket and my uncle's pocket who was doing the cleansing with me. And we walked around the room and We were just like saying out loud, basically, like that they were not welcome, that this house is protected, love and light, la-di-da. But it was terrifying. Like the lights wouldn't work in the house and it was all dark and we were going through and we were, and there were so many like little closets and nooks and crannies and we were trying to do this all. And we felt like it maybe took us like 15 or 20 minutes and we were so, so tired, like totally drained of energy. And then when we went back to return to the group in my dream, because remember, this is just a dream. (laughs) everyone was like what happened in there and we were like nothing it still feels a little bit heavy in there but like there's not as much darkness we don't think and they were Mm. like well why did it take you four and a half hours (gasps) and we're like what are you talking about we were in there for 15 minutes everyone was like no it's like 4 a.m you lost time in your dream yeah my nightmare was about losing time in this like demonic dark haunted room trying to be the person to like cleanse it with all my tools i like that in your dream you're still the the one who cleanses (laughs) well it was because i was amongst my family members so i was 
I was one of the ones. You had your briefcase. And it wasn't like my immediate family. It was my extended family. So I was the one being pushed forward. Okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens to you once you have it. (laughs) Since you asked for it. I'm actually really excited because I've only been given one other haunted object. And it's the little cat perfumery bottle. Mm -hmm. And we've had zero hauntings. So yeah. It's also kind of hard to know what hauntings you would have with that because it's supposed to be haunted by a cat and you have a cat. So it's easy to blame cat activity on the cat that lives in your space with you. That's true. But the EMF reader didn't go off at all. And it was like right near it when we were recording a couple days. So I don't know. Maybe it stayed with the last person who owned it, who gave it to you. Or Leia is just like such a bitch and was like, I (laughs) don't accept other cats in this home. Kicking you out. You can go away. <laughs> the spirit of the cat is just like outside waiting to be let in constantly. And Leia's like, not today. Well, there is this little like stray cat who I call Moo because he looks like a cow. And he comes by quite often. And Leia's so interested in him. Oh. But he'll just like sit on my deck. I truly like if I think if I left my door open, he would come inside. You should be. Why not? Why can't you? Isn't this what is it called? It's like the cat distribution well i think he has a home i think he's an outdoor cat oh okay so he's he's not a stray he's just an explorer and a little bit of an explorer i don't know who he belongs to he doesn't have a collar but he like bops around between a couple of these like little apartments and houses here and he is very well fed mm. well it doesn't mean he's not a stray that's true i should take him in because yeah i mean my friend allison has that the neighborhood has a stray that she lives in in Marblehead. Yeah. Her parents' neighborhood in Alabama had a stray that they all take care of. I've heard of many, mm-hmm. many communal strays that, yeah, communal they appear strays. well-fed and well-loved because they are, because they have seven families, not just one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but this is just a final call to action. Not a final, because I'll remind you again at some point. But if you have haunted objects or come across haunted objects that you would like to send to us, only positive hauntings, nothing dark, nothing malicious, nothing evil, nothing like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with these hauntings. I'm going to send it to two girls, one ghost instead. And none of that. No, no, no. No. Making it very clear. We'll give you Greg and Dana Newkirk's contact if you have something like that and they can communicate Mm -hmm. with you about receiving that object. Correct. Making it very clear. I would like to accept pleasantly haunted items. Please explain in detail what the hauntings are and you may send them to our P.O. box and like Corinne said, with this package, disclaimer it, put like in big block yeah. letters or something on top of it. This object is haunted. Open with caution. Read letter prior to opening. Should I be brave and go get it and just read you what the letter <gasps> is? But yes. not the, I'm not going to touch the object. Oh, my God. Yes, please. Please, 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 please. Okay, please, I'll please. be right back. My favorite part of traveling is packing with base because I feel so organized. I absolutely love their weekender bag, which we both have in black, how it has the separate compartment underneath for shoes. And I now have all of their like organizational travel bags. I have bought my family members their suitcases because it is traveling effortlessly 
while also still being fashionable. Base was created by actress Shay Mitchell to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while looking fashionable. And they really have thought of everything. 360-degree gliding wheels and a cushioned handle. And I now have their large luggage. And when I pull it up, there's a weight indicator. So when I am packing, and you know I'm going to pack like triple the amount of underwear that I need because I'm always afraid I'm going to shit myself or smell. And I've done it before. (laughs) So... It will tell me if I'm overweight. Well, I also love their luggage comes in multiple sizes and colors. And for shorter trips, the weekender bag is super functional. And so whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through the security line, Base has your personal items covered. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com forward slash T-G-O-G. Go to basetravel.com forward slash T-G-O-G for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash T-G-O-G. <gasps> okay, I was wrong. There's no pink tissue paper, but there was a pink post-it. So the object is in this little okay. felt bag and it says, please oh, read small. card before opening. I promise this is not teeth. <laughs> okay, let me glance at the card because I think as soon as I saw a haunted object, I was like, I'm out. This was sent from Melinda. It says, Dear Corinne and Sabrina, in response to your request for haunted items, I'm sending my, okay, wait, I don't know how to say this word, appreciated Jasper pendulum that has a trickster spirit attached to it named Daniel. Oh, okay. This listener messaged us and I think is even on Patreon and has commented about it on Campfire Stories. Oh, really? Okay. They purchased this uh, pendulum from a metaphysical shop in Ohio originally. After working with Daniel for a bit, they learned that he was neither good nor bad, but just a trickster with a sense of humor. For example, if they would ask him for help finding a pen, he might lead them to a crayon, which is (laughs) technically a writing utensil, but it's not exactly the same. That's funny. When he first arrives, please be sure to cleanse him as you never know who has handled this letter on its journey to you. When you communicate with him, anytime you communicate with him, always be sure to specify exactly who you want to speak with and state aloud no negativity is welcomed. When finished, make sure to thank him and say goodbye and close the communication. And then there's some more information on here about how to interact with him. Wait, this is going to be fun. I'm so excited. Now you have a haunted pendulum because I have one that kind of chose me in the shop Mm -hmm. and I have no idea who's attached to it, but they speak only the truth because I did not marry Nick Jonas. I did not win the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And other things of the sort. And also I had asked the pendulum about, I can't remember. Never mind. (laughs) I'm going to butcher it. It's going to be wrong. So I can't mistake for the pendulum. Well, when I receive this haunted pendulum, I will take it for a little spin on the podcast for the first time. Okay. I'll prepare myself. We'll do a cleansing. We'll do like, I'll cleanse it and everything beforehand and I'll state my intentions and everything during it. It will be great. I'm so excited. And it's trickster. Like how fun. This is one of those things where it's like you ask for the pendulum, but the PO box is near me. So I'm the one that goes and receives them. I have to touch them first. <laughs> uh, and then I send them off to you. I'm still fearful. Yeah. I'm half brave. That's fair. But you're full brave. No, I think I'm full crazy. <laughs> it could be that too. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I have okay. an interesting story for us, and this is going to dive into a lot of history and a lot of lore regarding Native American cultures on oh. the eastern seaboard. Okay. But then it does get a little bit paranormal. Okay. So deep within the Appalachian Mountains in North Carolina, there are whispers of a lost colony, a oh. settlement of people whose existence is now only remembered through stories and through legends and through lore, but who have been missing now for centuries. And this is not the lost colony of Roanoke, if anyone was thinking mm. that. But the lost colony of Roanoke did disappear just north of here. This is different, though. Oh, this is interesting. Like, I wonder if there's connections. What if they all disappeared to the same other the alternate same reality? Well, there's some theories that I think maybe we could draw some sort of parallels between Roanoke and this one, for sure. Because one of the theories is kind of one of the theories that happened to Roanoke. This story is a little different because these people are described to be a bit different. Because mm. as the lore goes, when the Cherokees moved to the southern Appalachian mountain range around year 1100, they were surprised to encounter another group of people who already lived there. Only their encounters with these people were unlike their encounters with other fellow native tribes. These people looked super strange. They were much smaller they were very short. They were just little tiny people. And their hair was very blonde. Their skin was bright white. Their eyes were piercing blue. And their faces were described as being quite flat. Feels very like fae, almost like Lord of the Rings fae. Although they're taller. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many different things. It's like fae, even like, I don't know, the kind of flatter face makes me think of like goblins and aliens and sort of how yeah. like those things are depicted as it's like just slits for right. mouths and like no real defining features. Mm -hmm. So yeah, these people were physically very different in appearance and not the typical looks of the people that this tribe, the Cherokee, were used to encountering, nor did it match with any of the Native American groups really in right. the majority of the Appalachian range. Spooky. Okay. Their appearance soon made sense to the Cherokee as they recognized a pattern with these strange people. This group of small, pale humans lived in caves and underground caverns and seemingly could not tolerate any daylight, only existing in the caves during the day and coming out at night. And because of this, they were given the nickname the Moon-Eyed People. I mean, it's interesting because there's that very, very rare disease where people are allergic to the sun and they cannot mm -hmm. be in sunlight. But in order for there to be an entire group and civilization of people who have this problem, it does make you think like maybe it is an alien species. Totally. And it could be like generations and generations Incest? of people who, <laughs> well, it's like, you know, the small communities in the end, everybody's related, right? Like you trace <laughs> it back like far enough, people oh, are yeah. related. So like it, it could be passed down. But then also going to the theory of like, are aliens us in the future? And, you know, we mm. don't tolerate the sun anymore because it's so, it's so bright or like there's some sort of natural or man-made disaster where there's not much sun and we live underground and we're not you blah 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 blah. like it very well could be us relating to that theory not to go too too uh hokey Woo -woo. in the very beginning i know i'm so late to the game but i just started listening to high strange and so now i'm <gasps> i'm fully in alien mode 
my gosh, you better catch up. I know. There are I certain things. Well, I'm a little bit late to the game. I'll talk about this at the end, but I just started watching Hellier, which is the, the new <gasps> Greg Kirk's, Dana's. Greg yeah. Dana's series. So I'm on like episode three of it's uh, scary season. <laughs> it is scary. <laughs> and also now knowing them, when you see them be a little bit confused and scared at times, you're like, oh, God. Yeah, it's what happening? is happening. Okay, so now we know that they're being referred to as the Moon-Eyed People. But, like, who are these people? How did they get there? Assuming that they weren't already from this area because they seem mm-hmm. to have a lot of difficulties with the climate, the amount of sun, and really preferred to live in the caves. They were almost like a nocturnal right. people. And the way that you're explaining them, it almost feels like the native tribes of this area are observing them. Are they interacting at all? Yes, they do. Okay. They okay. do end up interacting. So some people have questioned whether they could be some of the early explorers because in the 1400s, there were many ships that left Wales under the direction of a Welsh prince that wanted to explore the new lands and open up options for people who were currently experiencing a civil war. And so this is and not... Napoleon was famously very small. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's true. But are the Welsh people small? I'm not sure. They're certainly fair-skinned, but I feel like they might be. But not that. (laughs) What we see today? I'm not sure. But, I mean, we know that that part of history is fact, but what we don't know is really where they ended up. If they ended up anywhere in this area of America, that part's kind of Mm. lore mixed with history. But some people have questioned whether they could be some of these early explorers, because Mm -hmm. this prince, this Welsh prince and his brother, along with a few others, they supposedly sailed across the ocean and made it to North America, landing somewhere around Mobile, Alabama. And similar to the lost colony of Roanoke, Prince Maddock, I think I'm saying his name correctly, Maddock, Maddock, he decided, wow, this is such a great place to stay. Why don't I go back and gather more people and we can go and journey back to where we just came mm-hmm. from and establish this whole colony. Right. And so that's what he did. He returned and had more people, 10 different ships, sent on this second voyage. Wow. Only for the 10 ships to become lost at sea. All 10. Never to be heard from again. Yes. From what they know. So it is assumed that these groups all died on the ocean and that their boats eventually just sank, bearing any evidence of them or what happened to them. But some people are like, well, could they have made it to land? Did some of these people survive? And what about the small group of people that were already left in America? But Mobile, Alabama is so far from, I mean, it's not terribly far, but it is far from North Carolina. It is. But like there's a lot of centuries and like time that people could pass. Move. Okay, sure. You know, it's kind of like with Roanoke. One of the theories of the Lost Colony of Roanoke is that they literally went and joined the Croatoan tribe to survive. Right. right. And that some of the reasons why there are some blue-eyed Native people who are part of the Croatoan descendants because of the Roanoke. is because of, yeah. yes, that sort of thing. So it, it very well could be that. But just a quick side note, this part of history is really hard to decipher, too, because not only is some of it lore, but some of the articles discussed that these voyages were really hard fact. So I was getting really confused with like what actually happened versus what part is the lore. So I'm just hmm. going to say that all of that, we're going to just say it's a theory. Okay. So okay. I think that's protected fair. and not attacked by historians 
or anyone who knows more than we do. Listen, once we get the time machine built and ready to go, we will take our research to the next level. We'll go back, be there, live it, come back here and tell you all about it. Just stay tuned. It'll be 100% fact instead of just (laughs) our 2% history? (laughs) Question mark. So regardless, some people have said that these Moonine people are the descendants of this original group of colonists. Okay. That the battles that occurred between the Moonide people and the Cherokee people were really just the Welsh people fighting the Cherokee people, and that the Welsh eventually were driven out by the Cherokee and moved a lot further south. The small group, which it's like, how far south can you go <laughs> at that point? Sure. So this small group of foreigners that were supposedly left behind are said to maybe, again, like the Roanoke colony, have taken on bits of the Native American cultures and norms and perhaps eventually appeared a bit as some of the other tribes in the area, just Mm. extremely pale. So they present and interact and and kind of survive in a way that's similar to what they've observed other people in the area doing, but they themselves are still extremely pale. It's very hot. The Appalachian mountain range can be quite dangerous. So perhaps they were just, you know, they were trying to acclimate, but just not entirely. So perhaps they took Mm. to hiding in the caves as a means of survival and protection. Are there theories that they still exist in the cave systems and only come out at night? Sort of, yes. But that's kind of when once we lean more into the paranormal side of the story. So there's no real theory that this tribe exists today as people. But if they are paranormal creatures, then yes. I've been in paranormal mode since like minute one. So (laughs) catch up. It gets there. (laughs) We've all slipped into a dress or an outfit that we're very excited to wear and then thought, oh man, I should put on my shapewear. And then you put on your shapewear and you're like, well, I can't breathe. And this is so freaking uncomfortable. But for the first time ever, a couple years ago, we did not have that experience because we were wearing Honey Love, which both of us ended up wearing to my wedding, which if that is not proof of how comfortable it is that like a marathon day you choose to wear Honey Love, I don't know what is. You know what my favorite thing is, is the easy access pee situation. It's like you don't have to like wriggle out of it. They have the like flaps where you can pee easily in your shapewear, which is always so helpful. And Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating. Their shapewear features lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off. So you feel sexy in your shapewear. Yes. And I will say one of the big complaints I had throughout the previous years with shapewear is like, I have a little bit more of a belly and I would be totally fine when I'm standing up. But the second that I would sit, my shapewear would roll down. But Honey Love solved that because they put this like really flexible boning that's hidden in the side seams. So you can't see it even if you're wearing like a satin thin dress, like it's not visible, but it keeps it from rolling down. So you're just, you're snug as a bug. You're tucked in. You're looking freaking hot. And they also have incredibly comfortable bras, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. Honey Love has it all. And whether it's for a wedding, event, or everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash T-G-O-G. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. Honeylove.com forward slash T-G-O-G. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Treat yourself to Honey Love because you deserve it. Okay, so the problem with 
the theory that these could be Welsh descendants or Welsh people originally is that the timeline doesn't match up because the Cherokee predated the voyages of the Welsh to this area. Mm -hmm. So the Moonide people already existed there. They certainly weren't the group of Welshmen who were abandoned and left behind. Right. So some scholars believe that this tribe could have already been here because the Creek, the Shawnee, the Seneca nations all have stories of the Moon-Eyed people as well. So while oh. it gets attributed a lot to the Cherokee, there's a bunch of different tribes and native groups who've encountered these people. And so it seems like this was already an established group, right? Yeah. Well, Dr. Mann, a scholar of Seneca, suggested that they were descendants of the Adena culture, which is the culture of various communities, native communities in what we mm -hmm. know as North America, that existed from as early as 1000 BC up to as late as 200 AD. And they would build effigies, burial and ceremonial systems. And they could have been avid astronomers, which could be a reason for like their infatuation with the night sky and spending a spending lot of time, so much time out there at night. Out at night. Yeah. But other people have suggested that the original Cherokee legend actually never mentioned anything about the skin color. They just called mm. them moon-eyed people. So just a group of people who spent a lot of time out and about at night. Isn't it so interesting how that evolves? Like if someone spends a ton of time out at night and you don't really see them during the day as the story gets passed on through generations, it's like, oh, and they were extremely pale, meaning they couldn't even be in the sun, which is why mm -hmm. they were only there at night. And it's also, I mean, it's just like another version of kind of whitewashing some of the history based on True. what is published and written lores and yeah. stories because someone said that they believe the first time white was added as a description of the, this group of people's, the Moon-Eyed People's skin, was when a white author, Benjamin Smith Barton, in 1797, published a fairy tale sort of thing about the Moon-Eyed People and said that they were white or super pale. Hmm. <laughs> if this were the case, it still could have been another tribe of living human people it doesn't mean that they're necessarily aliens, but it has been suggested by a few scholars that maybe this could have been a group of indigenous Americans that just had a lot of albinism in their group, mm. which would make them more sensitive to the sun. And it's also interesting because I feel like regardless in history, a lot of groups of people who have been ostracized for the way they appear, like mm -hmm. I think of leper colonies as like the first example, but... I, I thought you were about to say leprechauns. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, we really are stuck in the paranormal today. <laughs> but yes, the leper. I wonder if there's like some, there was some superstition based on the different paleness of their skin and they formed their own colony. Yeah. I mean, that totally could be the case. And it's also like the, the Appalachian, Appalachian mountain range is so dense and the yeah. terrain is kind of difficult to traverse. And there are still mm. groups that are so incredibly tucked away in these deep pockets of this mountain range that I feel like it could be possible that this group of people could have existed in this like really secular type of living for a really long time, encountering almost no one and kind of having that thing where like maybe it's not a bunch of people that found each other, but it could just be where like Incest. after so many generations... <laughs> <laughs> of a small colony, it is a bit <laughs> incestual. <laughs> I thought that's Incest. where you were going. 
Yeah. Don't fuck your cousins. No. And take your pills. Be a good person. I don't remember what it is. I think I'm forgetting. I'm remembering most of them. I'll never forget. Don't fuck your cousin. Don't worry. But don't play with Ouija boards. I might forget at one point in my life. That's true. It's not going to be a don't forget. It's going to be an intentional breaking of the rule. Well, I almost broke the rule. I was not allowed to based on rules of a different place that we were in. Then their mm-hmm. rule was don't play with Ouija boards. Which you guys will hear about in March. Which this episode comes out in March. So just a couple of weeks. Just wait. Okay, so of course, now we're going to delve into more of the paranormal because Woo. with their, these people, their small stature, their disdain of the sun, people are like, could they be vampires? Could they be aliens? Are they equipped? Are they oh. a human hybrid? I didn't even think of vampires. Vampires, yeah. Except, well, here's the thing. It was said that a lot of these groups were, and this is part of the lore too, right? Where like, if you ask certain people who are descendants of the tribes that lived in these areas at the time. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be like, this is completely made up. This is total lore. None of this is fact. And other ones will be like, I hear stories that, you know, like my great, great, great grandfather wouldn't settle on this land because the moon-eyed people were said to be there and we were scared of them. You know, oh. it's just different based on what sort of environment that you're in, I guess. Sure. And so it's, sure. again, one of those confusing things where there's just... I mean, it's like any fairy tale, any bit of lore, things change over time, especially when you start adding decades, if not centuries, because right. this is like it's, centuries and centuries to the stories. It becomes a game of telephone. Yes, exactly. It is also interesting. This is another example of like how cryptids and folklore is born. And mm-hmm. then it does become hard to really figure out and pinpoint where it came from, what the origin is, and what is the truth. Totally. Which is, like, I so enjoy talking about these stories, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I feel like instead of letting myself get lost in the story, I feel like because other people are listening to this, I feel like I have to constantly backtrack and be like, just as a reminder, we don't really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but now let's get lost in the sauce a little bit. Okay, we'll get lost in the sauce. So in Cherokee beliefs, there are other non-human and supernatural groups of people who live amongst us and interact with our world whenever they please. Yet, in these stories told by the Cherokee, these groups, the moon-eyed people, were not referred to in the same way as other tales of supernatural beings. It Hmm. seemed as though these were living, they didn't feel paranormal, and that they were just some sort of nocturnal human or subset, I guess, of human. Some people have associated the ancient stone structures found in the foothills of these mountains as evidence that there was once a great war, and that the moon-eyed people were proof of these ancient people, the sole survivors who descended into the darkness to survive. Oh. Fort Mountain, which borders North Carolina and Georgia, has a 850-foot-long stone wall that stretches across the top ridge, and the stones vary in height. And I was looking at pictures of them, and some of them like look very large, like almost like boulders mm-hmm. put next to each other, but the majority of them almost feel like smaller rocks and pebbles just kind of like piled up to create this sort of structure of protection, perhaps. And it is thought that this wall was constructed around year 400 or 500. And so if this were the case, again, this could indicate that there was some sort of protection needed, maybe some sort of war fought where whoever was behind that wall was trying to protect themselves from whoever was trying to make their way up the mountain and up the ridge. 
So this would predate the Cherokee people by half a millennia. Wow. Again, it's like the dates don't match up. It's like if it were the Dutch people, that doesn't match the Cherokee version of it. And then the Cherokee coming into this area doesn't match the structures that already existed there. Not to say that there weren't already groups of people there. There definitely were. But it's like, who built them? Why did they build them? (laughs) Who was here? Okay, this is going to be a little bit of like a bear with me out there conceptualized theory. Remember the email we read from Ken, who was taken aboard a spacecraft of some kind and this doctor or this being was showing her around and basically she saw all these different types of creatures on the ship. Some she recognized, some she did not. And they basically said that when certain types of animals and species were going extinct, they would try to bring them back on the ship and like rebreed them and then Mm -hmm. put them onto either the same planet or a different planet to repopulate that species. Yeah. And oh, it was what there was some sort of like fox or something that was being reintroduced. The red fox. Yeah. Yes. What if humans didn't originate on Earth? What if humans originated on a different planet and we were going extinct and alien species brought us here to repopulate and the moon-eyed people are more of the original aliens who were trying to watch how the repopulation was going. Do you think they just dropped us here or did they force us to breed with the like Neanderthals and other types? (laughs) Well, given how much Neanderthal you have, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I'm given more Earth person than space (laughs) person based on my DNA. I come from caves. <laughs> what was it like? Let's do that. My Neanderthal had like less than 2% and yours was, you had more Neanderthal than like. Than 66% of users. I love chicken so much. <laughs> it's me and the baby dinosaurs just trying to live. <laughs> uh, it just reminds me, it's just a very quick tangent, Cassandra from National Park After Dark. Cassie, she posted this meme that was. A dinosaur, like a T-Rex in the sky, looking Mm -hmm. in the cloud, like looking down at a chicken on Earth. And the T-Rex is like, remember who you are. Remember where you came from. (laughs) Wait, I kind of love that so much, like how we have our ancestors as like guardian angels. The chicken's guardian angels are freaking (laughs) T-Rex. They have their ancestors, the T-Rex. Don't let them bully you. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that so much. I'm a cat person. I'm proud of it. You all know it. (laughs) And I love Leia so much that I want to make sure she is getting the best food possible, which is why I feed her smalls. And you've heard her scream in excitement on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. It is because this little girl knows that every time that we are about to record the podcast, she is going to get her smalls cat food. This podcast is sponsored by Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients that you'd find in your fridge, and it's delivered right to your door. So you can make it your New Year's resolution to get your cat eating healthier with Smalls. It was started back in 2017 by a couple of guys who, you know, they were making home-cooked cat food in small batches for their friends. And then a few short years later, they have introduced this food to millions of cats around the world, and the cats are loving it. After making the switch to Smalls, not only are 
are all the cats overjoyed with the flavors that are in there? But 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. And that's a that's a big deal. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free, meaning they will refund you if your cat won't eat it. It's 2024. Are you still feeding your cat cat kibble? Head to smalls.com forward slash TGOG and use promo code TGOG at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use our code TGOG for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code TGOG for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. Okay, so back to the moon-eyed people of the (laughs) Appalachia. According to one variation of the legends, it's believed that this wall that exists on Fort Mountain could have been a remnant of a war fought between the Moon-Eyed People and the Creek Nation, with the Moon-Eyed People losing the battle on the night of a full moon, which could have been the reason for them being called the Moon-Eyed People, because they lost on the night of a full moon. Again, this Mm. is all speculation, but still, it goes into the lore a little bit, because it says that they lost on the night of the full moon because the reflection of the moon was so bright that it still blinded their eyes because they were very much a light-sensitive and nocturnal group. Interesting. Yes. Some say the war didn't happen until years later, and it was actually between the Cherokee and then the Moon-Eyed tribe. But the belief is that the loss in the war is what drove these small, pale humans underground to hide and survive. So there's so many different variations of like why they're there, where exactly they lived, what they built, who they came in contact with, why they were named this. When they were there. When they were there. Yeah. But in the end, we're still basically left with there was a small group of people or people looking things, creatures that existed in this mountain range some few hundred years ago or more that spent time only coming out at night. Otherwise, they were living in the caves. So that's the consistent thing throughout all of these different versions. And then there's just different offshoots of what other people have added to it. Okay. Right. There's been a lot of scrutiny regarding this history because it involves native legend colonization and a largely whitewashed legend. Mm -hmm. Many people argue that the moon-eyed people to the Cherokee were not as we describe them today, simply just another group of people or a representation of white settlers that they encountered. The Mm -hmm. lore has been added to over time, embellishing the story and turning it into one of paranormal nature. However, in 1841, an effigy believed to be of the moon-eyed people was uncovered on some land near Raleigh, North Carolina, pulled out of the river and made of soapstone and talc. And it is on display now at the Cherokee County Historical Museum. And its appearance has once more opened up questions as to who these people could be. Um, apologies for background noise here. Someone decided to lawn mow a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing than like trimming some imaginary grass on the concrete. <laughs> but here's a picture of the statues oh, that were uncovered. It reminds me of so many things that we learned about in art history and like the, oh, there's one specific one, like the woman. Oh, the pregnant woman? Yeah. Doesn't it kind of look like that? It totally does. It's interesting because it, yeah, if you look at all of the different things that you encounter in a museum, you're like, oh, that reminds me of so many different man-made objects that we know exactly where they came from, like what date generally they came from, what group, what area. 
But this one, we don't know exactly where it came from. And that's, again, it just adds to the paranormal lore because they're like, well, it also looks like aliens. So people have asked, were they a neighboring tribe preferring to work in the dark over the blinding hot days? Were they a group of Welsh people who eventually assimilated into native tribes? A nocturnal cave-dwelling human yet to be seen for the past few centuries? Or could they be something else? A spirit? The fae? A group of alien beings? Now, in many of the legends, most native groups were said to have been afraid of these moon-eyed people. And was it because they were dangerous or just because they looked different? The connection between the appearance of the moon-eyed people and goblins seen around the Appalachia has also raised an interesting theory. So back in episode 140, we discussed the Kentucky Hopkinsville Goblins case of 1955, where there was this family who was besieged by a group of, they were calling them goblins at the time, but basically they saw like a UFO, it landed in their field, and it just kind of attacked their family and caused chaos. And this set off a series of sightings, and these goblins, aliens, were said to have kind of run off into the caves and taken protection in the caves and the different like abandoned mines in the area. I forgot about that story. Now I want to go back and listen to it. Right? Okay. So I was looking into this and like re-looking at all of the stuff with the Hopkinsville goblins. And that's when I realized that the first season of Hellier, Greg and Dana Newkirk's show, is connected to this, basically. So I watch, I'm only three episodes in, but in Hellier, the first season, it starts with Greg receiving an email to his old ghost hunting group that had since been dissolved. But in 2012, he received an email to that email that was no longer really functioning from a mm-hmm. man named David Christie, who claimed that these humanoid creatures emerged from a mine shaft on his property in Hellier, Kentucky, and were terrorizing his family. And after making contact with David Christie, the man described the creatures. They were small, pale, almost featureless. So the kind of like the flatter face that was described. Voldemorty. I have a very flat face from my profile, so I'm like, I feel like they're describing me. (laughs) A thin line where their mouths should be, and they would stare through the windows and operate only at night. The Christie's, which is, I think, a pseudonym, their shed would be opened at night, their kids' toys would be stolen, and then one day their daughter was like, yeah, I watch the kids without hair. They play at night in the yard. And so their family really feared this group of like small, pale creatures that would come out at night mm-hmm. in this area, basically wow. in the in the Appalachian mountain range. So David even backed it up with a bunch of photos of these really bizarre three-toed footprints that were left behind in the backyard and like around the creek bed in his property. And they were about half the size of a human foot. And they also had dermal ridges, which in August of 2023, we did a three-part Bigfoot series episode And we talked about the importance of dermal ridges in the foot castings because it's really hard to fake and it definitely is something that that leans more to like an authentic footprint because it's almost like a fingerprint of the foot, basically. Right. And so all of these footprints seemed very legit and they were largely found in like sediment from mine shafts. So like right along where these creatures from 50 years ago on the other side of Kentucky would hide. So it's like, again, just using all of the caves and whatever sort of tunnel system already exists to 
hide out at night. Oh. And so Greg and Dana, they dive a lot deeper into the series. And where I'm at in the series right now, they're interviewing a bunch of people. And there's plenty of people who talk about, and even children who have stories of seeing these small, pale creatures coming out of the mine shafts and all of this stuff. So now I went from being like, oh, the Moon Eyed people are definitely just a group of Native people who were probably like much smaller in population. Not much is known about them. Maybe they assimilated into some of the other groups, like whatever. I went from thinking that to 100% being on the side that these were aliens. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it happens. In Hellier, everyone should watch it. They do talk about all of these sightings, the synchronicities between David Christie's experience, the Hopkinsville goblin sightings, and a plethora of firsthand accounts that they find along the way, including connections to the Mothman prophecies, which is so wild. Wait, this is great because next week it's all about Mothman prophecies. Oh, shit. Okay, I got to find a Mothman email then to read <laughs> at the end of that episode. It's a good one. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. But to wrap this episode up, all along the Appalachia, these small creatures come out at night, favoring the cave systems as their hiding place or home and instilling fear from the people who encounter them. Could these creatures be the moon-eyed people, the lost colony of the Appalachia? The Appalachian mountains hold many secrets, and for now, the moon-eyed people remain one of them. Person? Goblin? Alien? We may never know. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know what I think they are. I do like my theory referring to Kin's email. But it is interesting that people continue to experience entities similar to them. And also just Appalachian, Appalachian, however you want to call it. The trails just in general and those mountain ranges have so many hauntings, paranormal, whether it's paranormal, supernatural, cryptic, yeah. whatever it is, that... I almost feel like if you were in that area and you were camping or whatever you may be doing, would you know how to differentiate what you're encountering from the plethora of things that you could possibly encounter? Well, it was interesting, too, because this was a very quick part of Hellier, but they were talking about how these creatures, what could also be the moon-eyed people that I just described, but these goblin-like creatures or the creatures in Hellier, Kentucky, that same description is found in so many different creatures all over the U.S., but like especially on the eastern seaboard. And so it was basically insinuating that these things could exist in a lot of different places, but we just have different names for them. It's kind of like Bigfoot, right? Like there's right. so many different versions, Yowie, the swamp monster. Yeah, there's so, yeah. so many. So it's like, this could very well just be the exact same cryptid or alien or creature that we just don't understand. And we're giving right. them different names because regionally we're experiencing things and we're just assuming it's happening in that one region. But this makes me want like a David Politis type of map, right? Where it's like, it connects all of the creatures that have different names. And we just have one list where it's like, also known as this, this, and this. And we just give them like one name, <laughs> you know, where it's like, the fox, and then you can see where the Arctic fox is, or the red fox, or whatever. But because we've never actually been able to like fully stop, look at, analyze, it is hard to know if they are of the same species, or mm -hmm. like you know how there are different like sub branches of like there's different like 
cat species. Yeah. And dog breeds. Well, it was also in Hellier, too. They were showing pictures that the guy, David Christie, and his pseudonym had sent them that he Mm. captured of these creatures, like, looking in his windows. (gasps) And it was really interesting because they both look like photos people have taken of alien-like creatures. But then they also kind of looked, because they were grainy enough and dark enough, they also Mm kind of looked like like the great horned owl <laughs> or like a certain owl species oh. from far enough away, you know, like with their really big. Well, because owls do have like the very flat faces and like wide eyes. Are they just giant owls? But then that doesn't make sense either. Because it's like, you know, an owl, especially if you're living in a certain geographical location, like owls are all over. There's no sure. way that all of these native groups would be like, what's an owl? <laughs> like, it's a huge part of their sure. their own belief system, too. So it's like, in terms of relating it to what said to be part of Native American lore, I don't think an owl would make sense. No, but I think for modern day times, for certain photos, an owl makes sense. But it still doesn't make sense. Like, what owls hang out and crawl out of cave systems and play with children's toys in the middle of the night on the grass? And also just like constantly peering into your window and like that engaged and curious about you as a human. I don't, yeah, I don't buy that. And I think as humans, we try to make connections in order to like comprehend something. So if you see a picture that you Mm -hmm. don't know what it is, but it looks like an owl, it is easier for us to be like, well, it's owl-like. And that's just human. I don't know. I think that there are these little alien creatures living in that area. Ooh, I just got the chills thinking about going camping there and encountering one. Remember that time when you had something had been calling you there? Oh, my God. I felt so strongly. I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to convince my brother to quit his job. And we're going to go on the Appalachian Trail together. (laughs) You know what? You did the the safer option, which is you quit your job and just talked about it. Yeah. And then I just... (laughs) No, full-time podcaster. It is weird, though, because it's like I still exist basically on a part of that trail. Like growing up in New England, the mountain range is here. Like I have definitely spent time on the trail. I just haven't slept over or been there at night. You know, right. it's very different going on like a two-mile hike <laughs> or oh, five-mile hike than actually being out there and investigating. Yes, Okay, well, this is an email from a listener who did investigate, not the mm. Moon-Eyed children. Which also, Moon-Eyed is like a beautiful, like, I feel like that's a beautiful description. Like, if someone said yeah. I had moon eyes, I'd be like, okay, romance, love letter. Because it makes me think of the moon. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, full of wonder and luster and mystery and intrigue and just. Yeah, exactly. I like that description. Yeah. Okay, this is from our listener, Lainey, and it is called The Pope Lick Monster Made Me Realize I Am Sensitive to Ghosts and Spirits. (laughs) Hey, y'all, I'll just jump right in. The Popelik monster made me realize that I'm sensitive to ghosts and spirits. You all speak about ghosts and spirits, but I thought we should take a turn on how cryptids can help haunt us as well. 
Now, let me give you some background. From a young age, I've always had weird experiences and never knew how to explain them. From dreams of things that would later happen just a few days later, to extreme emotions, to objects turning on, turning off, things moving and flying across the room, and just odd interactions with people. I just brushed it all off because when I was younger, I would cry to my mom all about it, and it was really hard for me. My mom does ghost hunting on the side, and a few times I would go along with her, and I would always feel so flooded from emotions, and after the event, I would feel so drained. But this past weekend, a post-college graduation idea, I went to another investigation with my mom and the group she goes ghost hunting with, which are, in my opinion, kind of famous and have a show on Destination America. Wait, cool. I want to know who. Me too. So they decided since they were in Louisville, Kentucky, to go hunting for the answer to the Pope Lick monster. Part sheep, part goat, part man that resides on or near an active train track. Along with this, many people have passed away from being hit by the passing train. Here's where it gets weird. We had EMFs, K2s, spirit boxes, and all the other sorts of things going. I was holding the K2 meter, which is a device that goes from green to dark red, depending on how high the energy was. Everyone around me was asking questions and getting active responses. I, however, was just silent looking at the K2 as it kept going back and forth from green to dark orange. I started to feel very, very strange. And I started to feel very overwhelmed with sadness. I began to sob. I could hardly control my breathing. And soon a train began to pass. I begged my mom to bring over the psychic that was there with us that night after the train passed. And I was talking with the psychic and I was able to get my breathing back. And soon I began to talk to my mom and to the psychic. She told me that I was sensitive. Along with being sensitive, she said that I had a spirit with me. Describing her around my height, like 5'5", with dark hair and who was close to my family. My mom began to cry and I asked if she was just talking about my mom. But my mom said, no, I know exactly who. And when I asked, she said, my grandma, who had passed away when I was younger. My grandma has apparently been by my side my whole life, guiding me through all of this and trying to get me to be aware of the fact that I am sensitive. I found out, though, that night from my own account that I can usually begin to feel the emotions of what other people are feeling the moment they pass. So I don't know if that's real, but that's the only way I can put it into words. So I wonder if when the train was about to pass, Lainey was struck with like, all the different emotions of people on that train. Yeah, that is interesting. Or if people have passed there, of course, if there's spirits who have died tragically in that way. Right. Yeah. Like, could it be residual? Or even is it like, is it something that was just about to happen too? You know, is it almost oh. like a premonition? Like, is someone else about to pass soon in that area? I hope not. That's such <laughs> a sad. It's such a because you can't do anything about it. I know. Okay, but actually, this kind of answers it. So knowing all of this had actually made me realize a bunch of things from other experiences I had. There was one time I was in a graveyard and I started getting sharp pains in my head. And I realized that the grave that I was standing in front of was from a man who had been shot and died from being shot in his head. Oh, God. Other times feeling like I can't breathe and then learning it was a spirit of someone who was suffocated to death or strangled. I'm not necessarily sure where learning this information will take me, but I hope I can use it to help individuals later on when I begin to follow this new foundation. See you on the other side, and hopefully I'll meet you at your show in Nashville, Lainey. And this was sent back in 2019 when we first did our show in Nashville. Wow. Oh, gosh. I just, it's so interesting because it's like, 
when people are more sensitive, it is kind of confusing when it comes to what you're picking up on. Like, are you picking up on the energies of people who have passed some sort of residual energy? Or is there just something in the air that is unexplainable and a little bit more like cryptid and mystery? And you're picking up on that feeling of like sadness and fear and just your body's reacting to being near something that could potentially be dangerous. I don't know. I'm curious now because since I was in 2019, where Lainey is in their exploration and their Mm -hmm. journey of understanding these abilities, I also love that they were... It was a paranormal investigation, a ghost, ghostly paranormal investigation, but with the determination to understand a cryptid. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Which is helpful. You know, use all your resources. Yeah. Did you discover anything about the Popelik monster? And also I'm curious now for Lainey probably understanding a bit more about their feelings and what certain things mean within their own like intuition and magic abilities looking back and reflecting on this experience what Lainey thinks she was feeling because we have what what Lainey thought at the time yeah but now is there any like missing connections like oh shit when I feel that way it's actually because this is about to happen should I look and see if we have any updates from Lainey yeah it's kind of cool how many people have began their journeys with the podcast or not even with it but have sent us emails from the beginning of their journeys. And that was years and years ago. Yeah. Now they are so much more advanced. We don't have another email. Shoot. But I will ask. I will follow up. Okay. All right, friends. Thanks for joining. Thank you for joining. If you have a suggestion of a topic, let us know. Comment below if you're watching on YouTube. Or a haunted object. If you have a haunted object, you can send it to our P.O. box. Uh, This is going to be a PSA that we have updated our P.O. Box address. So the old P.O. Box was in Boston. The new one is in Salem. We'll include that address in our show notes. It'll also be on our website and updated all throughout. We have mail forwarding happening from the Boston one. So if you've already sent something in the mail there, do not panic. It'll still get to us because we do technically have it for another month or so. But moving forward, the P.O. Box will be in Salem as an excuse for me to go buy more crystals whenever I go to the P.O. Box. <laughs> yes. If you have emails, please email them to us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want bonus content and ad free content and also episodes a week early, join us on Patreon. We have so many benefits there. And we would love for you to join our most haunted friend group, which is just the most amazing community. And thank you, Jamie Ryan, who edits all of our audio episodes and our video episodes. Thank you so, so much for making us sound professional. (laughs) And thank you to all of you for listening every week. We love you. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.